Hello and welcome to this week's Making Good, a podcast about the people, products, ideas and initiatives doing the work the world needs now. My name's Lee Evans. My first interview of 2020 is with Ollie Pendred, a pioneer of community energy and executive director of the incredibly exciting new venture Riding Sunbeams, which is working with Network Rail and other key stakeholders on a project which is trying to decarbonise rail travel in the UK. It's hard to know where to begin getting excited about this initiative, which, as you'll hear, is already in trial phase. Reducing the reliance of rail travel on diesel, replacing the feed-in tariff for the countless communities adjacent to rail lines, and the potential spillover into other territories, India, for example, and other travel and industry sectors. Ollie also talked to me about his work at the vanguard of efforts to improve energy security, end energy poverty, and decarbonise electricity, especially in rural areas as well as the evolving outlook for regional organisation of energy investment. If you need some positive counterpoints on your horizon at the moment, and given what's happened in the last week or months, Lord knows many of us do, hearing about Ollie's work ought to give you exactly that. If nothing else, the idea of trains that light up green inside when they're being powered by the sun is just very, very cool. You can follow us on Twitter at MakingGoodPod, And if you're enjoying the podcast, please, as ever, consider rating and reviewing on iTunes and sharing on your social media. It all helps bring our guests' work to a wider audience. I hope you enjoy the show. So, Ollie, welcome to um, to the first uh, Making Good episode of the um, of the new year of 2020. Um, so, so pleased you could um, you could join us to um, to talk about the um, this initiative and some of the others that you've um, that you've been working on. Uh, would you like to start by introducing yourself to the guests? Uh, hi, um, Lee. Yeah, uh, welcome being here, um, especially in 2020, big time. So I'm Ollie Pendred. I am Chief Executive of Community Energy South, which is a network of community energy groups that operate across the southeast of England. Um, we're there to be the voice for the groups, um, help them sort of capacity build and also um, develop new areas for community energy. And um, I'm also founding um, director, or one of the co-founding directors of Riding Sunbeams, which is a tech startup. I'm um, I'm I'm very excited to hear about uh, Riding Sunbeams. That's um, that's the that's the the. the the, the the initiative that's um, that, that's brought us here today to have a chat but I wonder if we could start a little bit I'm interested to hear our paths crossed um, many years ago I think around 10 years ago at the start of um, at the start of my professional life in in green infrastructure and um, and I'm interested to hear a little bit about your um, your, your journey if you um, if you don't mind sharing from um, how you got into community community energy um, what it was like um, what the um, the movement if as it were was like in the past and 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 how it's grown and how it's changed okay so that's it we're going to go back a decade yeah for sure <laughs> um okay so two decades ago i used to um i spent most of my life on rivers in the himalayas and in the andes and um with a very cool bunch of Nepalese Gurkha um, river guides who used to tour around the world and and run rivers and take people with us. And um, and when I came back, put my paddle down, 
My first job in London was on the Central London Congestion Charge. And okay. um, with my wife, Sarah, we, we led the on-the-ground information campaign to, for the launch of the Congestion Charge, um, which, was a, which was a good baptism into communications and campaign management. Um, uh, advising Ken Livingston and face to face with him, you know, about the mood of the people towards the congestion charge. Um, from that, I went on to work for National Grid for a number of years, um, involved with their national community relations framework. So, the rollout of their community relations framework. So, talking probably, I don't know, I say this number, but near on a thousand parish councils out in East Anglia, Wales, um, the Midlands, the South East, I've been to to tell them about energy infrastructure. During that time, uh, I got involved with the Consultation Institute, which was an institute set up to support people working in public consultation. And um, we were one of the early founding members to the company I worked for. And um, we got involved with neighbourhood planning and how to do public consultation at the start of neighbourhood planning. And I kind of combined both my knowledge of talking to parish councils about energy infrastructure with neighbourhood plans. And in the village where I lived down in East Sussex, the village of Barkham, uh, we worked with um, with Bayes on the Local Energy Assessment Fund, the LEAF projects, and we did a local energy plan for the village and it covered everything from home energy to um, could we have biomass, could we have anaerobic digestion, a wind turbine, hydro schemes, and we brought in all these consultants and Centre for Sustainable Energy and we did a house-by-house -house survey and um, and we did a, a, a very in-depth energy plan for the village, which I think was ahead of its time. So, so I mean, I'm intrigued to hear to understand what it was like being a being a pioneer of community energy at that time. What was it? What was driving it? Was it? Was it? Um, was it more push, more pull? Um, from the, yeah, from the it was it was it was a bit of push and pull. Um, the village at the time, in about two thousand and eight, two thousand and nine, um, I think DCLG actually pushed a lot of rural villages to do local plans, and um, which if you did it really well, and there's a guy in our village from the University of Brighton who was um, called Nick Gantz, who ran the local plan. He was the youngest parish councillor at that time in Sussex. And he did a really good door-to-door -door survey of all the homes. And what came out really strongly in that survey was that um, everybody wanted to get off oil in the village. And what we learned from the energy plan was that 70% of the village used oil for heating. And that, that really hit me. My house used oil for heating and was badly insulated. And through the project, we ended up insulating about 300 homes at the same time for free. And um, it captured my imagination. 
And I suppose I, I left kind of the corporate world and in that process came across Avesco, which at that time had been the second community energy project in England on Harvey's Brewery. And they really took my imagination that they were local, getting people to invest in renewables. And um, we're talking at that time about, you know, how they could offset the carbon and encourage people to come off fossil fuels. And um, so I was really excited to join Avesco back in 2010, 2011, as their, their youngest director at the time. Uh, snapper. So, with, so at the time, would it be fair to, in, in the early days, would it be fair to say for those community groups, it was primarily um, about, um, about cost savings? Or was there a, an awareness of, um, you know, um, the carbon impact, the climate impact of the... Um, the, yeah, the well, there were the early movers into solar, so you didn't need to persuade them. They all got amazing um, feed-in tariff returns, um, and um, and then there were the people that kind of saw the returns to go on community organisations or schools, and um, it was just another way for people to invest in the future. And transition town was really important to that at that time, the Lewis Transition Town Movement um, really encouraged and lots of local people started investing in it. And um, I think what I brought to the table at Avesco was the um, is what people could do locally, like draft proofing, checking people's bills and things like that. And then something something happened which um, Chris Rowland and I at Avesco picked up on is that the phone kept ringing and um, one of our directors with Howard Johns, he'd been out in Canada and a community group there had actually done a presentation on Avesco in Canada wow. back in 2011, 2012. And the phone was ringing at Avesco and it was other communities saying, how do we do what you've done? So Chris and I um, worked with the Cabinet Office through like a peer mentoring project and West Sussex County Council got involved with us and match funded it. And we took 12 community interviews through a year-long training programme and helped them set up as community energy groups themselves. So that was from Repower Balcombe, Forestry Energy, we helped energise Sussex Coast in Hastings and um, supported Besco in Brighton, um, and, and the, the list goes on. So that's how we set up Community Energy South, actually, because we'd set up 12 new groups, and they asked us to form an umbrella group to support them and become their voice. And so is the journey of setting up and, <clears throat> excuse me, of operating you know discharging the responsibilities of a community energy group now has it changed over that um, decade or so since um, since the early days of of Avesco or is it pretty much the same journey from um, from um, from concept to you know installation and reaping the benefits for, um, for for any group to go through no it's been it's been a complete roller coaster for everybody and um, ups and downs because at that time um, the Labour government had a, like a manifesto into community energy and then 
um, the coalition government, and they were really supportive. We used to have Greg Barker come down to our events, and Norman Baker and Ed Davies to come down, and um, Amber Rudd as well. So we'd have MPs really behind the movement, because um, not only are we empowering communities, but at the same time, we're kind of like activists, and, and, and members of parliament, MPs, have to listen to activists, because we kind of bring up innovation and change and the way things should be. And that's at the essence of community energy. Now, more recently now, and we'll get to it, I chair a panel for the Greater Brighton Infrastructure Panel, and um, Abundance, who are a crowdfunder, said to me, Ollie, do you realise there are nearly £41 billion of people's savings in the Greater Brighton City region alone, earning near on 1% or less? Now, if we can take local people's money and invest it in our infrastructure, then we can empower ourselves and make our communities more resilient. You know, why look outside when we've got it in already? And that's that was the kind of drive. So let's, if we can just take a second to um, to unpack that. So, community energy starts off as a um, as a as a means of um, of. Re- of reducing um, energy inputs to properties and groups of properties through draft proofing, insulation, and then um, and then converting the the you know the production of the energy, the supply of energy from um, from oil, from you know your weekly color gas delivery to to uh, to solar, maybe ground source, air source, heat pumps, that kind of thing. But now this seems um, this seems to be a quantum leap to talk about um, to talk about um, leveraging the um, the combined you know like financial clout of um <clears throat> of communities so that where were the um where, where did the um where did the impetus for um for that for that shift come from there have been highs and lows and you know it goes with with the oil price drops in the oil price um change in momentum you know, in the last year with Greta Thornburg and Attenborough and this whole climate emergency thing and XR, suddenly people are in the mood to go, we need change, we need a system change, and we can do it ourselves. And a question very much. Questioning big corporations, right? Recently, you know, like um, Swiss Bank and, and another, you know, banks in the city to enable people to really think we can do this ourselves there's been a bit of a step change lately um but i don't think we're quite there yet you know before the war there was a war bond so to the government to raise money for the war for the second world war actually raised a war bond and people invested in that because they wanted to put their money to protect themselves. And I think we're getting to that again. With green um, bonds. Yeah, yeah. And um, climate change bonds, you know, let's let's invest in in accelerating the climate change in the same way with that green bonds. they did with the war. And it's the and it's the period of historically low interest rates that we've been living through for the you know, for the last <clears throat> since two thousand and eight really. Oh, well. 
not not long after the last decade or so that that presumably is quite clement in terms of people seeing a productive outlet um for um for savings where um where certainly where ISAs and um, and savings account don't really offer offer um, swashbuckling returns, do they? So maybe maybe it's a good time for people to think I can do some good with my um, you know, with my savings, with my pension. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's what it's all about, and it's confidence in that. And historically, you know, we invest in shares, and there's there's a risk, um, but it's giving people, you know, feeling for the risk. And also that they can empower um, their neighbours and locality, and um, and that's a really big one. And um, so so yeah yeah that's at the heart of what we do in community energy. And um, I'm really excited to see that growing across the sector. I think there's 200 megawatts, 200 million pounds of projects now in the community sector over the last 10 years. Um, is that that's in the UK? Yeah, in the UK, it's wider, not including Scotland. In Scotland, it's boomed. You know, it wouldn't surprise us. Um, and and I'm very proud to say now, in the southeast, is uh, you know it's the largest growing sector within the community energy sector, is in the southeast of England. Is the Within these community groups, with what what share of the energy that they um, that those um, those groups need is provided by the um, is provided by the, um, the 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 energy co-op or the uh, the, the measures typically is are we are we do they become completely um, resource independent? Um, I think it's a bit of a drop in the ocean, actually, to begin with. To be honest with you, um, like so in Lewis or in Brighton. Um, yeah, they, they've got great momentum, you know, the hockey stick is on the way up, you know, they're, they're tripling, quadrupling their output every year, and it's going to accelerate, but um, the next 10 years we've got a lot to do, and, and community energy is just a part of that, but we need to empower the people um, to want to make the change. And um, so it's just a part of that, yeah. So the the latest initiative, which is moving to look, sorry, you call it is it GBIS Greater Brighton? Um, Greater Brighton Infrastructure Panel, yeah. Infrastructure Panel, and so what's the ambition specifically? What's the um, what's the, what's the ambition for that um, for for that group? Okay, so the the reason for it, it, it covers about 800,000 homes. Um, so it covers from Brighton up to north of Gatwick Airport and across to Lewis on one side and, and past Worthing on the other. That's a very loose definition of right, and that kind of explains why they um, why they're selling out the um, selling out the Amex every week now, doesn't it? Yeah, no, exactly. <laughs> but I can say that you know, living in a village outside of a city, you know, we definitely know when um, does we, the city impacts our village in many ways. You know, a lot of people work in it, they drive to it. Um, in the height of summer, um, the rivers go down because the water is being taken out to be used in the cities as well as the villages, of course. 
So, um, you know, in many ways, city regions are very influential. But what we've seen in the UK is um, cities competing with each other. So like Leeds, Manchester, Bristol, you know, and that's because they represent a large population and they can compete for government funding and they have, you know, ambitious zero carbon targets. And that's the idea of the Greater Brighton City region. And um, and I'm very excited to see that all the chief executives of all the local authorities are on the infrastructure panel. And, um, and we passed, early last year, we passed a, um, a net zero plan for 2050. Um, but we're starting to be a lot more ambitious for that and support the local authorities who have, you know, 2030 targets and um, and look for a solution that's a whole city region. In the heart of the city region is the UNESCO area and the biosphere, which is part of the South Downs. Yep. So that gives us a real feel for it. And you're right, there is a whole, there's a football stadium in the middle of it as well. And what do I do if I buy my football ticket? Is that um, my son and I can get free transport to the stadium. You know, we can just use our, our, um, our ticket to get in the stadium, to get on the train or the bus. And that's, that's something that, that I think about a lot. Um, with um, you know going net zero, not only for, with renewable energy and move off of fossil fuels, but also in mobility and how we move around in cars, you know, diesel cars, petrol cars. Um, yeah, it, it, it's you know we need to have these system changes, and and it's good to be able to influence that. Um. That's a that's almost that's a nice segue towards talking about riding sunbeams. But before we do, just move on to to this your your latest project. I wonder when we're talking about um, the infrastructure plan for a city region like Brighton, is that um, is that going to include um, a, a re-thickening of the um, of the transit networks between the um, between villages like yours and um, and the others? Because when I drive around, you know on. Um, business, what have you, around the Sussex countryside between Sussex and London, it it, it does seem that um, pretty evident that um, that it's not very well uh, very well served at all by um, you know by buses. The connectivity between between places requiring people to have a have a um, a pretty big fossil um, fossil footprint from their their car, um, what have you, is. Um, it's pretty. It's very much in in, in evidence. Is um, is a is a reconnecting of these um, of these um, disparate villages part of the vision for the city region? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and 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 listen, there's a thing called natural capital as well. So we want people from the cities to come out to the countryside and enjoy it. And the other way, we want to access the, um, the city. And um, yeah, you get in your car and you drive, you know, that's, that's a big carbon footprint you've got. And um, yeah, the bus services, there are bus services to the rural villages, but, they, um, but they're, they're just not enough. So we need to enable people 
to be able to walk out their door wherever they are and jump on an electric bus, take them into their local town or their hub, and then jump on a train and um, and access city. And I think that's that needs a big system change, not only in taking cars off the road, but also in the way ticketing is organised. So if I live out in the sticks, I get make my own way to the city on the train, then why can't I buy a coffee in the city and that takes 10 pence off my train ticket or something, demonstrating that I travelled um, in public transport and that, um, you know, and then I'm spending my money in the city ethically. There's a number of different ways that we can think about, isn't there, of, um, of, of nudging behaviours towards desirable outcomes. But I also think, you know, stacking the benefits in in the um in the in the in the areas which aren't in the city yes getting people out people from the city out to um to visit um to visit the city i know in the um in the biosphere application that there was a limited amount of um i think what they refer to as ethical tourism so um eco glamping um just outside brighton was was made reference to but but if you had um uh, zero emissions buses like you know the new fleet that have just been brought into um, Brighton and Hope buses zero emissions buses running um, every 20 minutes or half an hour around the um, around the Sussex countryside you've you've got people that will start to explore um, far further flung places than Ditchling Beacon or Lewis Town Centre you'll start getting people going uh, being a little bit more adventurous spending money in um, in some of those um, smaller communities and those members of those communities as well which suffer a little bit more from from you know from the the negative effects of isolation you know loneliness and um, and a difficulty with with um, with getting um, regular or um, or shift work everything everything becomes just a little bit more um, a little bit more fluid a little bit more well oiled for um, for for um, for all concerned and <clears throat> And starts starts to take some of the pressure off the um, off the uh, off the services in the um, in the city for the same reason. I would I would imagine it, it's it's a win win, and we we feel about this. We've lived we've lived through like quite a long experiment now with reducing human experience to you know to um, defi to definitions which don't really get much beyond efficiency or you know or, or, or profit and I really feel like now the um, the, the awareness of climate change um, as a driver gives us the opportunity to um, to restore some a little bit more a little bit more um, sense rationality and um, and you know fellow feeling to um, to the way we organize some of these public services yeah absolutely <laughs> excuse me and and there's a I suppose that makes me think of a couple of things. One is, you know, if we had an electric vehicle in a rural village, it could actually be voluntarily run because there are certain people that make those journeys anyway. Um, and it could, you know, it just needs to go in a circle and connect to the hub. But then um, we're going to get to riding sunbeams in a minute. But my colleague at Riding Sunbeams, who kind of my follow comrade, if you like, who I've started that up with, Leo Murray, he writes a lot about um, cities and cars. I mean, why do you need to be in a car in a city? You know, and pretty well, it's just throwing waste out all the time. So, um, so 
And I think cities are moving very quickly towards electric vehicles and more sustainable. You've got hybrids running around in the city, and let's face it, they were made for that. Um, but cities are going to change very fast, but we in the rural communities need to keep up with them. And um, we can bounce, both bounce off each other. Did you um, did you see the um, that Toyota of um, is it um, Bjorn Ingels, um, the uh, Danish architect, has um, is his practice is designing um, a um, a town for um, for Toyota in um, in Japan, and the um, and it's interesting that they um, they're orienting. <clears throat> In the centre, there will be only pedestrian, um, pedestrianised areas. Outside, outside that, so in a kind of a, 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 a middle part of the um, the donut's going to be um, only uh, mass transit, so buses. And then outside that uh, ring is going to be um, it's going to be possible for um, for individual privatised journeys to be made. It sounds like um, it sounds like a really interesting experiment with um, with what ca- with what can happen and where. I'm a I'm a big believer that um, that um, that collectivizing you know journeys rather than rather than elect rather than electri- electrifying every individual journey is 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 the where the lion's share of the effort needs to be um, needs to be put. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, I said to Leo, we were coming into London. Um, and um, because he's involved with the XR and you know possible, which was 1010, and and, it, and really encouraging people in climate change. And um, so I was saying, you know, at these traffic lights, people should get a free um, window wash if they've got more than three people in the car, <laughs> or even more than two, and um, and then start some way socially penalising people for being in their cars on their own. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I'm a big um, I'm a big believer in that um, carpooling as 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 well. So, could we um, could we move on then, segue um, seamlessly into um, into talking about the new initiative, um, riding sunbeams? If you could tell us a little bit about what it is, uh, a little bit more in, in a little bit more detail, um, how it came about, and um, and and who's involved. Uh, yeah, sure. Okay, well, it's a very, one thing, um, it's a very exciting project. You know, we, we um, I think from my background with national grids and major infrastructure, one thing that I think is really important um, is partnership with infrastructure organisations and the marriage between communities and infrastructure organisations. Is um, can really help fast track change, and um, so the Riding Sunbeams project started in back in 2016, when one of our community groups um, said to um, Leo Murray at 1010 and myself, they said, "Why can't we connect directly to the railways?" and um, we got to thinking about that and talking about it, and a local group meeting. We came across Professor Tim Green, um, who was in part of the Energy Futures Lab at Imperial College London. He said we can look into that. So it wasn't at the start. It wasn't immediately obvious that connecting up the electricity supply from solar cells to um, to uh, the rail network was was even viable. No, not at all. People hadn't okay. thought about it. 
So it was an engineering question. It was an engineering question, like before any of the um, any of the other things could um, could you know could get up and running. So in the, and in um, in twenty sixteen twenty seventeen, we looked at what would be the interface with the traction system, and so the railways are run AC or DC. And um, don't question me too much on that because I'm not <laughs> massively technical. But um, but in the southeast of England, we have a DC network for 750 volts. It has its own private network. So, um, and let's face it, now, what is the market for connecting renewables? Um, we can't get onto the DNO, so we can't get on to the transmission network because um, because it's at capacity. And um, there's no feeding tariff or there's no rocks. There's no return on renewables or subsidies. So we feel that we're opening up a market. And, um, and at the same time, in 2017, 2018, the Rail Safety and Standard Board and Network Rail started to develop their decarbonisation strategy. And um, some of um, the Rail Minister at the time was Joe Johnson, or the Transport Minister, so the Prime Minister's brother. And he actually said it's really important we decarbonise the railways as quickly as possible. Can I just can I just ask to clarify that because my understanding had always been, in fact, I was reading something today that 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 um, that train travel was um, was was the lowest um, impact, um, certainly much lower than. Um, than, um, than than flying by a by a significant factor. It was significant enough for me to book my um, book a, a, a trip to um, to a friend's wedding in, in in the French Alps to go by Eurostar instead of everybody else who's who's flying there. So so his his urgency, his sense of urgency around um, decarbonising rail is that it, it still has quite a heavy a heavy carbon footprint then. Yeah, it does because okay, not where. Um... So first of all, hold on, hold on a second. My daughter's here. I'm going to quickly say hello, and then I'm on the. Bye. Bye. <laughs> hello. Next hello. generation are very important amidst all of this. Um, the um, yeah. So a lot of the railways in the UK are diesel railways, and the rolling stock is diesel. Right. So, um, where it's electrified, either AC or DC, you imagine up in Nord Northern Wales, some places in the Midlands, in Scotland, a lot of the trains are diesel trains, actually. In Europe, a lot, most of the system is, um, is electrified by AC and powered by nuclear power. Right. So, um, and the other thing is, take into account is rolling stock, i.e. the trains we use, are, are there for a long time, so they're actually kept on the rail for a long time. So decision making is quite slow. Um, so there's all sorts of things to take into account with, um, with railways. So not only are we working South Wales, in, in South East, but we're also working in South Wales on the Green Valley Line. Okay. And that's so, where those railways are being electrified. 
to, and that goes back to the rail decarbonisation strategy to electrify where possible. Um, so this is interesting. So there was a plan to to um, to move off diesel and electrify that line, and 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 now um, Sunbeams is is um, is feeding into that project with the potential to um, to uh, to supply at least some of the um, the energy that's needed for that um, for that line. Well, the Trash Wells, the um, Welsh Assembly, their, their future strategy for electrification of railways is that it has to be um, 100% renewables and 50% community owned. So it falls perfectly in line with, with, um, with our ambition and our mission. Yeah, it's a, so, 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 so the, um, so it was discovered, I take it, um, that um, that it was indeed possible to um, to use um, to use solar. What, what kind of what kind of um, real estate along the um, along the tracks are we talking? And can this be how how close to the rail do the um, do the uh, does the do the panels? I assume it is um, uh, standard PV panels that most people will be familiar with. How close to um, does the array need to be to the um, to the line for this to work? Well, there are um, so there are, there, are, there are substation points along the railways um, that we can connect to, but we can go right up alongside the railway line, um, and so that that's one opportunity. The other opportunity is we look for megawatt sites or wind turbines that then can connect in on third-party land into the railway. Um, so we really are at the beginning of this journey, but Network Rail is one of the largest landowners in the UK, for one. They use four terawatts of power, and um, so HS2 alone will use another four terawatts of power. So it will double what they use at the moment electrically. HS2. I was going to. I was going to throw you a curveball and ask you what you were, what you thought of that. I know I hadn't um, sent, uh, given you any information that I might ask about it beforehand. But where do you stand on where, where do you stand on um, on 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 that high speed um, on that on that high speed rail, rail initiative? Yeah. I listen. I don't like at all that we're tearing up the countryside to right. to install. Um, you know. That's just personally, I, I'm not, you know, it's not for me. Um, if it is going to happen, I do think that communities need to be empowered to enable it to happen. And that really, they could own their own renewables and power the railway and actually get a benefit from it. Um, so that's something that I would be very happy advocating. Um, but yeah, it does. Yeah, it, um, I don't is like it, the countryside being torn up. No, no, indeed, and, and especially the um, and especially the 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 ancient um, woodlands, you know, which can't easily be um, replaced just by um, just by planting um, planting. Um, <clears throat> excuse me, new new tree plantations. But is it? Um, is there a so there's no technical objection? Could it entirely be powered by community energy running along um, by 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 communities running along? To continue the timeline, if you like, 
2018, we worked with Bays and Depra and six of our community energy groups in the southeast. And we, we looked at the feasibility of how we would connect megawatt sites to third party land, to third party, from third party land into the railways. And um, we worked alongside an amazing team at Network Rail. And we've come up with options on how we can connect. And then that led to last year working with Department for Transport and Innovate UK um, in a project called the First of a Kind Project, um, where we actually proved, we demonstrated that we can connect a renewable energy system to the railway. And um, that's happened in Aldershot in Hampshire. That's happening um, right now. Might be in Surrey, actually, in Aldershot. <laughs> and that's happening right now. It's powering, well, it's not now, it's at night, but during the day, <laughs> it's directly powering the third rail. And you know, that's the first in the world. There are other railway systems where they have solar um, in Japan, Australia, and Europe. And like Blackfriars, where they have... Um, I know Blackfriars well, yes. They've got a huge array on the top of them. They've got a huge array on the top of their roof. But that's not feeding directly into the traction system, into the railways. That's feeding the, the railway station itself. Can you... Can you humour me with a, um, a technical question? I, 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 might, have, I might have mentioned... Um, previously in a in a conversation with you before the podcast i've been renovating a um, a canal boat up in um, up on the um, up on the grand union in in london and i investigated um uh converting the diesel the marine diesel engine um to um to an electric drive and the 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 base I, we didn't go ahead the problem was that um that in um in in situations like um like maneuvering or or where you have to take evasive evasive action or hard break or or what have you that um that there was just not possible to um to get enough um enough out of the um enough out of the batteries and then recharge and still be able to um to move on um <clears throat> without you know with, without, with, without a period of i don't know like a, a two or three days um, of good sunshine to recharge so it was um it was necessary in order to be able to maneuver and i don't and I, the reason why i ask is because i think this is probably somewhat comparable um to maneuver a 60 foot lump of um lump of steel um you needed to have um still have a, a diesel um, or petrol generator capacity and so you were really only moving the um the, the, the fossil fuel um footprint um, a, um further further up the chain you weren't doing it away with it um completely and the um the the, the cost of the electric drive still marine electric drive is 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 prohibitive so it would have been it would have been whimsy for um for me for me to to do it really now when you talk about traction is there What's the draw on the um, on these on these networks? I'm guessing that the, the the thing that we haven't spoke about becomes important, which is storage of electricity. So, are there battery banks in these substations? How does it how does it work? Yeah, the um, so there's highs and lows. So as so on the third rail system, 
as um, you know, it's this power, you have feeder points in the railways, and the train literally gets shunted along. So, um, if you were, you know, if you were standing at Crawley Station, then as the train went through the train, the platform, there would be a spike in energy at that point. Um, but obviously, trains need to stop at platforms, uh -huh. and um, they regeneratively break as they do that. Now, most trains do, and that puts power, or be it not very clean power at times, back into the railway. And then they have to draw out the station. So if you're, it's a little game, humoring you, if you're at... Um, <laughs> a rural station. You'll never see two trains pull away at the same time. Um, it's, it's, it would draw too much power. So... Um, from from a substation located right next to the station, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, nearby, but yeah, there should be nearby, but not necessarily. It doesn't always work like that. Um, but actually, so a good place to locate batteries might be next to stations. So that the train could pull, you know, very fast current in very quickly to shunt them along, and then and then they start drawing again. So that's one thing. Um, there are there are train lines that you imagine in South Wales where they could electrify a train and then it comes to a tunnel. So um, okay, what you're going to do in the tunnel? You can't necessarily electrify the tunnel without huge expense. So in that stage, it could well be that a battery carriage could be added, uh, added to the train, mm. to shunt it through the tunnel, and then it picks up the traction again on the other side, the current again on the other side. Um, so that's, that's where batteries could be involved. Now, going back to your barge, those are heavy old things, aren't they? And it's a bit like, um, you know, the old, you know, 1700s house or 1800s house, um, wattling board, where, um, you know, you really need to blast heat in it to keep it warm. And um, I think a barge is the same thing. But then um, hydrogen fuel cells are going to come out, and they've got a marriage with batteries and electrification. So, um, you know, those hybrid systems could be future. And one of the other first-of-a-kind projects for Birmingham University was to um, test a hydrogen fuel cell train up in Birmingham, which a lot of fun we went on it. And, um, and that's an exciting technology to marry with renewables. So, yeah, very exciting. I mean, one of... One of um, Something that really blows my mind is the speed in sorry to, to travel to India, but um, the speed in the renewables deployment in India, and how um, the work that we're doing could influence the Indian market for um, powering trains and um, and and powering trains to actually power you know. They've got much more sun and it's much more powerful than us. So, um, again, that's a really good marriage and that can really accelerate decarbonisation of 
transport in India, which would be huge. Yeah, and a really well-developed rail network as well, haven't they, in India as primary primary means of, um, one of the primary means of, um, of, of, of getting around. Can I... Um... Can I ask? This is, I mean, it's it's hugely exciting and, and groundbreaking. It I kind of there there are two two questions that I've um, that, that that are kind of um, going around in, um, in my mind at the at the moment. One is, um, for, pardon the pun for talking about um, electricity, but have you um, have you encountered any resistance from you know vested interests in this um, in the in the landscape at the moment? The um, the, the Big utilities, or the um, or some of the privatised rail rail companies, or um, it, it, is it has it been all plain sailing, or have you had to navigate a political landscape in this, this journey? Okay, so one, we haven't received any resistance. Two, it is politically complicated. So um, you know, the rail industry. We we didn't know about the rail industry. We came from the community energy sector. So we, we come with communities. and um, But that's kind of endearing to the community, to the rail sector. Um, and and actually, um, it opens doors, you know, when you're, when you're, you're from the community. Um, so I wouldn't say we've really experienced resistance, but it's, we've all had to work really hard on joining the dots and um and trying to get to understand how the rail network works and also how the talks work and the train operating companies and um then yeah the actual um the train manufacturers and um you know all the big organizations that work in the rail industry like siemens and atkins and um, so that's like a whole nother world, community energy, and but not unfamiliar to infrastructure. So what we're um, what we've done at Riding Sunbeams is that um, we've been able to put together a team that really understands infrastructure and has a really good background in working in in major infrastructure projects and. Um, and who also, I'm happy to say, all of them are 100% committed to community energy. And um, if I'd had that conversation with them five years ago, they would have gone, Puh, you know, what's all this about? Oh, maybe they would have been interested a little bit, but they really get that, that link between the two. Um, so we've had to... We've had, it's been a big educational process in that. And um, so we have a triple bottom line within Riding Sunbeams. So we, we want to bring environmental benefits, the social impact that goes to working with, um, with communities and empowering communities, and also um, the drive for low carbon affordable transport which is, you know, pretty well based on our discussion already. So so that's very exciting. And we have this ambition that communities that we already have community energy groups in will be investing in new projects, but also commuters 
can can look outside the train and there are the renewables that are powering their railway. It's on their tickets. They may get a reduction or they may get a chance to invest, you know, in bonds or in shares. Um, and um, the train ha train has LED lights in it, so it goes green when it's being powered by renewables. Oh wow, amazing! Really get people thinking. The um, the psychology of um, the psychology of knowing where your energies come from is is really interesting to me. I know when I when I shifted over the um, <clears throat> the business uh, provision from um, from whatever one of the big six to um, to good energy, you stop you stop worrying about really where the uh, what the what the bill's going to be at the end of the month and um, and just accept that um, that. It, it is what it is this is what it costs in order to do it in an environmentally benign way and then they started building the um, the, the rampion wind farm it's like at the bottom of my road i come out of the door i look down i can see the sea and the um, and the and the wind farm off the, off the coast and it's a it's a nice little thing to dream that maybe that um that you know the the energy um created just there almost within touching distance is what's powering the, you know powering the city that you're um, that you're uh, that you're moving around. I don't know. It doesn't work exactly like that. But I, 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 I those, those moments, those connections of bringing home to people, the you know the actuality of them doing their bit. I think is um, it's, it's part of galvanising the um, the scaling up of, um, of 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 climate viable technologies in in all kinds of ways and opening the opening the doors to um, you know to to buy in on the part of the general public. Yeah, absolutely. Makes it real. One, um, one, uh, the other question that, um, that 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 occurs to me is, the, um, I'm not sure the best way to phrase this, but is there? I mean, obviously, you're there are some very specific um, uh, logistical um, uh, parameters to this, which means communities located relatively near to um, to trains lines can help to decarbonise the um, the transit and um, and provide a return financial and you know kind of emotional shall we say for those um for those communities by generating energy for the um for the railway line can we take is there, are there ways in which we can think about this as inspiring um uh decarbonizing projects elsewhere are there other initiatives other sectors other industries where might this where might this approach spill over into do you think well um Okay, so, so to begin with, I'm quite interested personally that it can, you know, if we can if we can work with the, the rail operator and get them to understand decarbonisation, you know, um, the whole of the industrialisation started because people could move around the trains. You know, it's a real catalyst. Um, so. You know, if you think about all infrastructure, um, they all use energy for what they do. Water, you know, you can't you can't turn the tap on without energy pumping it in the first place. Um, and water companies use a lot of power, and um, and so that's that's a perfect marriage. Our community can can start investing in powering their water and actually becoming more sustainable the amount of water they use and take more ownership for water that's a big one um, believe it or not the environment agency 
They spend loads, millions and millions of pounds on on pumping, um, you know, um, and as sea level rises and the more rain and floods, there's more requirement for pumping and that requires energy. And that's something that we can own locally and really get our head around. Um, and, you know, this whole digitalization and future generations, um, I can't, that's the one big thing for me, I'm so excited about the next generation. They are just rocking behind us. We can't believe they were. They don't want to own things. Um, they do, They just want to rent things and keep them for a while and share them with each other. And and I just want to put a platform in place for that next generation. And I uh, have a lot of faith in them. And um, so that's an exciting side. You know, the whole digitalization. And um, and the marine industry can learn from what we're doing, and um, and then Leo, my colleague at Ten Ten, um, I'm riding sunbeams. He wants um, the electrification of flights. You know, so um, massive carbon emitter flights. Huge. So if we can start getting people in their Leo jets lining up at Davos, can we see that? Well, those Leo jets, they can afford those Learjets to be powered by um, batteries. And um, so that's an exciting industry to, to look at how that can change aviation and it will really quickly. I think aviation is one of the places, and maybe this is a, a slight distinction to be made between um, mass transit <coughs> rail and, um, and mass transit um, uh, in the aviation um, sector we there's a there's a sense of um of uh of individual responsibility for um for the emissions of flying which i don't see in um in rail going back to the question that we pose at the start you know what the difference is between the between the two and i think that i don't think we can put the genie back in the bottle of people wanting to move around you know people have Families are spread all around the world. Working opportunities spread around continents, around um, around, around around regions. You know, we're bombarded with images of um, of, of um, amazing experiences to have, like all all around the world. Academic conferences, um, you know, um, integrated businesses, supply chains. Now, I, I I don't think we can get the genie back in the bottle of people wanting to move around, and rather than making people feel guilty about um about uh about the carbon emissions of flying i thought it would be i think it would be a wonderful thing if some of the energy of this initiative you know of of um of 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 decarbonizing and providing decarbonizing the um the energy and providing a a, a return for um, for neighboring communities if some of that spirit could move into the um somehow into the aviation se aviation sector I, I think it would do it would do wonders for um for um for, for eco anxiety for um you know for people um disposition yeah, towards, so, towards climate change yeah lee so i went and talked at um a climate change group in winchester so in the heart of conservative winchester there's an organization called winac they were one of the oldest climate change groups I believe in the country. They are fantastic. 
They made started one of them. Um, it started an app. So if you are going to fly, then offset your carbon. So um, and there's lots of these around. But they were really reasonably priced, and I love that. So you could fly if you're from Winchester or around or from wherever. Go to the WinApp website and pay the WinApp website to offset your your flight, and they'll go and plant trees or do more events and awareness around around um, climate change. I love that idea. So if you start, you know, everyone that went to the World Cup to watch the rugby in Japan, we could come back and put £300 in an account that planted trees. I'm happy with that um, for now. And, um, and it doesn't make their guilt so much. We don't want people to feel guilty. We want them to be empowered. And, um, and sometimes in the climate change world, I get pushed back on that a little bit. But I agree, the anxiety that comes with climate change and, you know, the, I think, community energy by investing in your power. It's the biggest, most expensive thing we all use pretty well. If we can get communities to invest in their power and get social, a social benefit fund for the community from that, then that benefit fund can then invest in other decarbonisation and zero carbon projects, be it um, you know, electric transport, electric bikes, or um, sustainable food shopping and things like that. So we can if we invest in the in the energy, communities can get a return that can be reinvested. And um, yeah. And help people with that anxiety. Fantastic, Ollie. Uh, Going to draw things to a close. I'm really grateful for you, um, for you, for you joining us and, and, and talking, um, talking things through. I've got, um, I've got a couple of uh, questions, or groups of questions that I ask all my guests towards the end. So, the first one: if you were, uh, if you were king for a day, and there's one thing that you could do to make a positive impact. I've got. So I suspect you might not limit yourself to one, uh, but if <laughs> if you could choose one thing, what would it be? One more. Um, let the future generation make more decisions. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Believe in the future generation. I, w I can stand full square behind that. The um, and then to wrap up, three good things. Uh, one uh, book or a podcast that you've loved. Um. Well. Okay. I'm going to put two down for that because um. I love listening to Test Match Special. <laughs> Amazing. And um, and also um, because I spent a lot of time in the Himalayas, I've come to love a guy called Yonge Mingu Rinpoche, who's um, a Tibetan monk, and he's got a really funny mannerism, and he does meditation and um, awareness talks, and he's brilliant. And he puts his hand up really clever. He, you know, he said, yeah. Anyone want a question? Put your hand up, and um, he's a good guy. I'll, um, I'll I'll link to that in the um, in the notes with the uh, with the podcast. So, um, uh, does he count as the person or social media account to follow? follow? Well, no, that's got to be Attenborough. David Attenborough. Okay, David Attenborough, and I'm really proud to say that 
I found an opportunity to to introduce my kids to him, uh-huh. and they met him and got you know about half a minute of his time, but it was enough. It was great. Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful human being. And uh, and to close up now, your uh, your favourite place to immerse yourself in nature and why? Uh, well, I'm really lucky where I live. Yeah, because um, I live in in the countryside in Sussex near the Downs. Um, and we've got woodland around here and I'm quite happy just sitting in my garden watching the birds feeding from my nuts, you know, and and there's a little chap inch that's coming at the moment. He's got he's got big legs and he hops around, he's quite funny. And um and it gives me a lot of satisfaction to to watch him jumping around. I uh I'd like to second that. I got a um, a WhatsApp message from my um from my mum this morning she just she was running outside into the garden um uh, insisting that myself and all of the family listen to uh, listen to a bird that she'd uh, that she'd heard calling in the garden and we decided that we decided that having people watching people watching birds is a new youtube channel that someone needs to uh, someone needs to launch just people in rapture Ollie, thanks you ever so much for taking your time this evening to um, to, to talk through what you've um, what you've been up to. It's incredibly inspiring, and um, I, for one, am um, looking forward to seeing what happens next with um, with riding sunbeams. Thanks very much, Lee. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to catch up with you.